Hey everyone and welcome to the Catpick Studios podcast and Master the Basics series where music industry professionals teach us the various skills you need to be successful at your music, varying from fuzz guitars or fuzz guitar pedals to stage presence that we're talking about today, social media promotion, slide guitar, all kinds of stuff. And today I'm joined by my good friend Andrew Ferris, who you might best know from his Guitar Geek YouTube channel and also Thoman videos, concerts, whatever they do over there. Please remember that this podcast is also available as a YouTube video on the Catpick Studios YouTube channel. But now to Master the Basics and Andrew Ferris. <laughs> Well, hello there, Vlad here. Welcome to my studio and Master the Basic series and Get Big Studios podcasts and all of those things. That guy, I'm pointing at the camera where I can see Andy. He's throwing me off like, of my awesome, awesome intros because it's Andy. His camera presence and stage presence is just such so captivating that <laughs> I, I don't know what to say anymore. How are you doing, man? Good to see you. I was doing great until I had all those, I think they're compliments. So, you know, now I'm, I'm just <laughs> gushing with emotion and um, and I think I might need some sort of VIP treatment now after all those kind words. <laughs> VIP treatment. <laughs> yeah, I'm good, man. I'm really good. Um, how are you? I'm doing pretty well. I've just started my summer holiday and I'm waiting for the, what's the word, tiredness to kick in. Uh -huh. Like, I'll probably feel sleepy for the next few days. That's usually what happens to me when I go on a holiday. And then I'm kind of up to speed and stuff like that. I'm good. Good. Nice to know. <laughs> so, if you guys have ever seen Andy on videos or on stage, he's good. Like, there's something about him where I've, I feel like he looks like he's relaxed. Maybe he's just acting. I don't know. He's laughing at me right now for me saying that. But he looks like he's having fun. And I kind of want to kind of get into his head a little bit and understand, like, what has helped him to relax in front of people, in front of the camera. And, yeah, let's just dive in. Like, who... Let's start with a question of who do you kind of enjoy watching on stage, for example? Like, who are your favorite performers on stage you've seen? Oh man, it's, it's simple. It's Freddie Mercury, number one. Without <laughs> without even thinking. So, like um, like Pavarotti said, there's Freddie Mercury, and then let's talk about the other ones. You know, so really? it's absolutely Whoa. Freddie. Um, his stage presence, his command of a crowd, but the fact that he wasn't, he didn't consider himself above the crowd. He considered himself like all the the band and the crowd were all as one. And um, and that's how I feel with music, and that's how I feel about performing. I absolutely love um, spreading music and spreading the emotion and the fun that that music makes. And you can do that with other things, you know. There are other like sports kind of has a partition, a participation mm -hmm. to it, but it's a competition. And with music, there isn't or there shouldn't be any competition. It's all a big, maybe not a party. It could be some sad kind of music, you know. But it's all about sharing this one emotion and bringing people together and if you're on the stage leading the band or or somewhere on the stage then that's kind of uh i see it as the main job in in a show so freddie mercury number one um 
I would say that uh, that's been since I was a kid. I really got into music with Nirvana and Kurt Cobain, of course, and his stage presence was totally different, yet still had this kind of um, beauty and honesty to it. And uh, in fact, speaking about honesty, to, to go back to Freddie quickly, I was totally shocked when I saw him in an interview off stage when he was this quiet, well-spoken, very polite man, and I was I freaked. You know, because I thought, who's this guy? It took me a long time to understand that there's actually an onstage persona and an offstage persona. But back to Kurt. Yeah, it was the, the honesty of his playing and the emotion and the raw... like it's, it's aggression, but it's not aggression against a person. It's almost about an aggression and a communication with the music and the way he's playing guitar. Uh, and often when people say that Kurt wasn't a great player, they're absolutely wrong because he uses that guitar to speak. And his his words that he creates with that guitar are phenomenal. Um, and as for the rest of, um, I guess I was into kind of I was into musicals when I was a kid. So we had the Andrew Lloyd Webber stuff. So um, Starlight Express was was big for me. Um, and then there was Grease, and then so loads of pop stuff. Um, ABBA, uh, kind of an amount. Like I don't know anyone that hates ABBA. It, it's crazy in all <laughs> genres of you could be like a metalhead or a pop person or everyone loves ABBA because they make great songs but it's about the show and um, that's a very long question to a very short long answer to a very short question <laughs> one of those <laughs> one, one of those in, in the right order exactly um, so you personally do you, have you like intentionally developed your stage persona well maybe not stage persona but like your stage presence uh, have you had like a moment where you realized, hey, this is something I need to work on and then started doing stuff or has it just kind of come to you gradually over time working on things there and there and kind of putting it all together? That's an interesting question um, with, again, <laughs> another long answer. So I'll try and keep Go it ahead. as short as I can. Go ahead. <laughs> this is a podcast. Um, you can do as long answers as you want to. Great. Then yes. in that case, Vlad, here's my answer. <laughs> No, um, the person I am on stage now is not the person I've been on stage in the past and probably won't be the person I've been on stage in the future. So to talk about me now, uh, you've mentioned that I seem like I'm having fun, like I'm relaxed and that there's no pressure. Um, that's not true in the sense that there is pressure, but absolutely am I having fun and I feel um, honoured to be in that position. So, you know... I've played gigs where there is quite literally a man and his dog watching. Um, I've played gigs where we, <laughs> where we had a TV above the band. So we're, we're facing the audience and there was a TV above and behind us and people were watching cricket and asking us to turn the music down. Um, so it, it's absolutely a learning process. But every gig, I've tried to take something away like how can I make the next one better? But also not to put the pressure on that it's never fun. Uh, but there have been gigs where it hasn't been fun. Um, I think you mentioned uh, Toman. Uh, I do a lot of stuff for Toman at the moment. And we had a, a Live at the Lake concert, which was live streamed on YouTube. And there were drones and big expensive cameras and a lot of money that went into making that thing happen. And one could take that as a lot of pressure. But also I was like, how many times in my life am I going to get this opportunity to hold a guitar, sing, talk to people on the internet and do that. I mean, I don't think ever. I mean, we might do it again, you never know, but that there's never going to be a first. So 
I th hopefully I'm getting across that I, I love what I do and um, I love to multitask. So to take the Tolman gig, for example, I was playing guitar to a certain degree. I was singing. I was reading the lyrics because we only had a day and a half of rehearsal. Um, <laughs> really? I, Whoa. Yeah, it all went it, to... We had three days, but it all went to pot. It, it was... Yeah. We had half the rehearsal time we should have had, and we hadn't actually decided on the intricacies. Um, I was chatting to people on the iPad, on the, you know, on, the, on the live stream. There was a YouTube chat going. I was making fun with the other musicians and my friends, you know, and it's, it's a huge multitasking. Um, but I love things that, that are so close to going wrong, you know? <laughs> like, <laughs> it's like, there's so many things. That could, I could fall in the water. And then at one point, I was jumping around on the stage, really enjoying myself, and apparently the lighting tower was shaking left and right, and the lighting guys were off camera, so screaming at me, asking me to stop jumping up and down. And I just thought they were having fun, like, yeah, hi, hi. <laughs> but I, I watched the video back, and the lighting tower is really going, and that would have been catastrophic. Um, but I started off guitar when I was, or, or bands, I was in a band as a drummer first, uh, I can't play drums. I've never been able to play drums. But uh, my granddad is a drummer, and I thought somehow it's in me, so I'll be a drummer. Sure, uh, why not? <laughs> exactly. That's, that's, that's how much I loved this thought of being in a band. We got a gig before we even had a, a song list, you know. Uh, uh, I went on stage, played the drums, um, realized that I didn't quite like being at the back and slowly worked my way forward to the front. Uh, all of this time it was developing with my personality. I was never a very outgoing person at that age. When I was a young boy, two, two, three, I was putting on shows in my kitchen. I was entertaining people. But something happened where I became very self-conscious and very worried and quite the opposite of what you would have seen if you've seen me on stage. And this very introverted person and a very unhappy person. So what I did to go back to your question, is I created a persona of the person I wanted to be. And it's because it's really boring being so introverted and being so unhappy to the point where I couldn't even walk across a room without like looking at a watch or, or checking or playing with my hands to have something to do in case someone was watching me. So I created this persona of who I wanted to be, and it wasn't me. So it was an inauthentic uh, Andy. And... Um, and then gradually over the years, I gained a lot of experience. And I guess the key to my uh, position of where I am now is I have a lot of experience, which means a lot of bad shows, a lot of high pressure shows that either went really well or went really badly, a lot of regular shows. So I was gigging every night a week, um, so, so seven days or six or seven days a week, um, playing the same songs in cover bands, which is great fun at first, then it becomes a job. And then it becomes great fun again, and it's you know up and down. <laughs> but I guess um, I've just had a lot of time on stage uh, and doing various things, speaking, which I hated, uh, dancing, which I was no good at and loved, you know. And then finally, you know, playing guitar and singing—it was the thing I loved to do. Um, and I guess uh, street music is is key to what I do these days because I first did that in 2009, and that is a scary thing to do. Mm. What, what's scary about it, one might ask, me included? <laughs> um, when you're on a stage, when there's an organized gig, when you're 
so, uh, I'm speaking German there. When you, for example, <laughs> was, well, that was weird. Some Beispiel. When you are, for example, in the middle of a lake on a floating stage, you are safe. There is no yeah. one that can come on the stage, or if someone does come on the stage, there's like a social rule, like like there's a stage and there's an audience in the street on the streets of the world. <laughs> um, you're 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 just with everybody. You know, it's all you're quite literally on the street. And if anybody wants to come up and, and say something to you or, or do something, be it positive or negative, there's nothing stopping them apart from a small social barrier to get, a, get over. And um, you learn a lot by playing music on the streets. <laughs> playing music on the streets. Yeah, I can imagine. That's, um, I'm trying to remember whether I've ever done that. I don't think I have, actually. Like, I've done a lot of weird gigs, but that's something I haven't done. Yeah, <laughs> I would absolutely recommend it. Anyone who's listening to this or watching this, take a guitar, go and stand on a street corner and start singing and playing. It will scare the living daylights out of you. But when you come out of that, even if you were rubbish or no one listened, you've done it. And you're like, for me, at least it was such a, a warm, energizing feeling and addictive. And I think that's key as well. I'm, I'm addicted to, to playing music, I'm not addicted mm. to practicing. <laughs> which is my down so yeah something i do want to add like make sure you're abiding like the local rules because in finland for example like playing on the street is it's pretty heavy heavily regulated so like don't get <laughs> get into stuff with like law enforcement or anything but you know make sure that you do it the right way yeah just go and do things but if someone asks you to stop and don't be a dick you know yeah that always I, helps how is it in Finland? Like, if you were to go and sing on the streets, would you get arrested just for singing? Or is there, like, a sort of, can you please stop that? And then you stop, and then it's all cool, like a warning. Mm. I think the biggest thing is, like, whether you're asking for mo money while doing that. Like, as mm. soon as you're asking for money, then I think it kind of changes. Yeah. Uh, and then there's the rules that uh, I don't think you can have, like, electrically amplified instruments, even if it's, like, a battery-powered, I'm pretty sure. But you could like play acoustic guitar, I think, just fine. I might be missing something, but I think that's the general rule. If a police or someone asks you to move, then you probably should move. Because, yeah, and like most of the police officers in Finland are just smart people, so they probably know what they're talking about. That's good. Okay, well, I'll, I'll learn that for when I come to Finland one day with my acoustic guitar and my Marshall stack. <laughs> Give me a call, I might join you. Great, I'd love to. <laughs> it's a date. Beautiful. Beautiful. Uh, have you suffered from like serious stage fright at any point? And how have you dealt with it, if you have? Oh, of course. Um, as, as, like, as I sort of uh, journeyed into earlier, my earlier days... Uh, not that I know what I'm doing now, but I really didn't know what I was doing back then. It was all exploration. It was all... I mean, there's so much involved. So there's, there's having the, the um, discipline to learn what you're doing. If it's an instrument, if it's a talk about something, you know, you need to know what you're doing. You need to have the self... Uh, the courage to, to get on the stage and do it in front of people. Um, I'm not, the, there were some friends of mine who could just get up and, and sing and dance and, and act and things. I wasn't that person. I was someone who, who couldn't do that naturally. 
and um, but I wanted to be, you know. So of course I was frightened all the time. Um, but I think it's it's all about energy. It's about a fear is an energy, and I know it's a cliche, but you can um, channel that energy into something positive, which is not easy. Again, and people say, "Oh, you just got to channel that fear into positive energy." It's not easy. Um, but if you can, and that's why, like, that's why I jump around on stage and I'm throwing the guitar, and even if it means hitting the wrong notes or, or all the wrong notes, it, it it needs to be part of the the show. And not not for the people, for me, you know? If I'm not having a good time, then no one's having a good time. So I guess stage fright is something I've hugely dealt with. I, I was, when I was at school, um, I had to give lots of speeches to the whole school. And the first one that I had to do, I, I was sick. I couldn't read, I couldn't stand, I couldn't speak, I couldn't breathe, you know, all the, the classic symptoms of stage fright. But again, it was back to the underlying rule of, if I don't do this, then I've failed myself, you know? So if you're doing something for yourself, then of course, even if you are afraid, you should still do it. Because if you don't, and, and there's times where I haven't done it. I'm not saying like, oh, I was afraid, so I did it anyway. No, there's times where I, I bottled it. And um, afterwards, I, I kicked myself and I hated myself for it. And uh, this... You know, this, this went on a few times. But, you know, when you put it all together, I guess I've had more positive experiences than negative experiences, and that's why I'm still doing it and still hoping to do it in the future. Hmm. The key to that, like, for me at least, personally, the key has been to go and do it again after a very negative experience. Like, I was kind of introduced to stage fright at a fairly young age because I played classical piano, and every like semester we had like a concert type of thing. Like there was our teacher and every student of that teacher. And like usually <laughs> kind of weirdly enough, those people were put into like skill order. So like the the beginners were at the beginning and like the best ones were at the end, which is kind of I don't know, it in a way feels unfair. Mm. And like yeah. Especially it started to become kind of depressing when they're like 10 year young, the kid that's like 10 years younger than I am suddenly was playing better than I was. It's kind of depressing. Like I was, but like those were my first experiences of like stage fright because I started notice like it wasn't about at that point, it wasn't about like any physical symptoms in that sense that I might have nowadays. I'll talk about those in a minute, but like, uh, I was all there was like always some part of the song that I was scared of. Like this is a difficult part, and like if every time when I concentrated, that okay, soon the difficult part will like the next thing is the difficult part. Don't screw up, don't screw up, don't screw up. And I always made a mistake doing <laughs> that. The few times I did manage to like, hey, I'm just going to try to enjoy this. Just play like, don't think about the people that are mm. staring at you. And like it's a really annoying environment in the sense like everybody's just sitting quiet and like they barely even clap because it's like a classical environment and it's almost like a sport in a sense yeah so yeah like the few times i did manage to somehow like somewhat relax at least like and just think about the music and like oh this is a nice part and stuff like that those were the times when it actually went the best out of all the times but yeah, th those, that was my introduction to sta stage fright and then later when i started to 
like I started to play in the bands besides like school bands at at the age of like I want to say like twenty five actually. Like, I I just didn't have a band to mm-hmm. play with. Then I started to play uh, in like a I don't know like ch- church bands, and then we had a folk band that actually like played actual gigs, so to speak. Uh, my sim like the main symptom I had for the stage fright was that my shoulders were kind of lock up and my hands were incredibly cold which is not a good thing for a guitar player absolutely <laughs> that was not. bad i had to take take like painkillers and try to like before like five minutes before i started playing i was just doing this and like <laughs> waving my hands and doing like swimming motions or is it somersault or whatever this is like i was doing that for like five minutes just to get some like feeling into my fingers <laughs> so sometimes it worked sometimes it didn't have I'm, you had anything like physical uh, symptoms or is it just in your head? Yeah, I mean, mental problems manifest themselves in our bodies. And I've had a, a back injury recently. Mm. I've also been under a lot of stress recently. And I know that part of the back injury is from being stressed, you know, mm. about about money, um, about the social situation of the world at the moment, about the future, you know, about my kids. And it's... It's uh, it's proved to me that anything that happens, I lock up in my back. And um, with regards to like physical things being on stage, yeah, the the weak legs, um, <laughs> like use like I love wire pedals, always have, always will. And with a wire pedal, you have to stand on one foot to operate the wire with the other foot. Yeah. And I've I've fallen over whilst wiring. Um, <laughs> Uh, I think one of the worst ones for me is because I, I sing and play mostly at the same time. I back away from the mic and, and give it the you know the guitar widdly widdly widdly. Look at my amazing A chord, and then I come back to the mic and I, I come too close and bang you know straight oh, to the I've mouth. Li- I've done that so many times. I've like actually hit my like teeth pretty hard yeah. on the microphone so many times. Like because I I move a lot when I yeah. I usually like also sing when I play. If not lead vocals, then at least back vocal, backing vocals, and that usually means that you're far away from the microphone for a while, and then you remember, oh wait, I need to sing, and then you like make a sudden movement towards the microphone, you hit your teeth. It's, it's one of the reasons I have one yeah. of the phone things on my mic when yeah. I'm in charge. Like when you're doing a, when I'm running my own gig, I will always take a fifty, a fifty-eight with a phone piece on it. Ah, I see. Just for the protection, because I know the shape of the SM58 mic. And whenever I go to a gig where the PA has been provided and they've done something with probably a more expensive and more appropriate mic for the gig, it freaks me out. I'm like, can I, can I have a 58 on that? And I don't care how it sounds, but I know how that feels when I hit it. <laughs> the guys are like, what? <laughs> okay, I'll deal with it. And then, of course, because I, right, I get right up on the mic. I'm, I'm loving that yeah. uh, proximity effect. But it's not for the sound. It's for the, <clears throat> um, for the stage feeling again. It's uh, Yeah. I don't know why. I've really tried in the past years to back off the mic because I never really cared how it sounded. Um, to be honest, you know, like as long as I'm having fun, someone else can can worry about how it sounds. Even when I'm the guy also doing the mixing, and because um, I think it, I genuinely think if you do a great performance with a bad sound, it will beat a bad performance with a good sound. Yeah, absolutely, one hundred percent. And hopefully, you get you know a good mix of both. Of course, that's what we're aiming for. But it's my job to provide the performance. And um, so, yeah, uh, I've learned more technique in the past years, which has Mm -hmm. actually 
um, affected negatively affected my performance. Like the more I know, the the more I'm thinking about. So back to what we were talking about earlier about being relaxed on stage and being and having fun. I have to let it all go. You have to, at least for me, I have to. If I'm the guy driving to the gig, then you're the driver. When you're unloading the stuff, you're unloading. When you're setting it up and, and tuning things and, and plugging things in, you're a technician. When you're off stage afterwards selling merch or signing autographs or, or whatever, or doing selfies, then you know, you're know you that person um, or that part of your personality. When you're on stage, you have to let everything else go and trust the other people that they, they've done their jobs, um, which can be an issue sometimes because in a band... Um, there's obviously a lot of relationships that you have to deal with. So I've really enjoyed being in bands where I can really trust the other musicians and other technicians that are part of the show because everyone does their job. If if the technician hasn't done their job properly and they've put like a dodgy XLR cable on the mic and your mic cuts out, you're the guy that's going to look like an idiot. No one listening or watching is going to understand that a technician has chosen the dodgy XLR. Yeah. If someone, if you're lucky enough to have someone tune your guitar for you and they've tuned it to the wrong key, like E flat or, or drop D or something, and you play, no one cares. They're looking at you playing that guitar that sounds wrong. So, yeah, it's almost like a blind faith, and I've I've implemented that throughout all of my shows, even when it was me doing all those things. Like you, you are the same person, but you have to change the hat that you're wearing, and that's why. Um, I've learned to be uh, prepared before a show and try and turn up early and um, try to make sure that you know songs are learned and strings are changed and cables have been tested or treated well. You know, it's it's all these simple mm. things because when you're in the show, and it doesn't matter if it's in the middle of a lake on the internet or in a little bar where no one's there, you have to treat every show with the same respect because that's the respect of the audience. And once all those little box are ticked, boxes are ticked, then you can go on stage and trust that the show you're going to be doing is the best you can give. But you have to be in that role. Somebody wants to improve their stage present, present, not present, presents. That's the word. Sorry, Christmas English. presents. Someone wants better Christmas presents. Yes. What do they do? <laughs> Tips for writing the letter to Santa. If you write now, you'll be early. Yeah, but then it goes to the bottom of the pile, you see. So ah, you've got to get true. got to get the timing right. Too early, it gets at the bottom of the pile. Too late, it goes on, you know, you've got to get the timing right. Exactly. And one might also say that's the same for music, Vlad. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> one might, or may not. <laughs> is, is one asking one for tips on how to improve stage presence? Yes. Like, if I want to improve my stage presence, what should I do? Okay, I can only tell you from my, my perspective, because that's, that's me. There are many ways, and what I would firstly recommend is to try many ways, because you'll find the one that fits you. Um, my way <laughs> is to throw myself in at the deep end and to really put everything um, uh, like at risk, I would guess, but also to do so and try and breed trust in you, like, it's just going to be okay, guys. It's going to be fine. Um, trust, and, but not say it like that, of course. But I guess building that team around you is very important. Uh, and having um, trust and friendship, and even if it's, dare I say it, a false friendship, because I've been in bands that are for money only, you know, covers bands where you're just working, 
um, that sometimes you're on stage and you're happy and you're smiling and you go off stage, ah, oh, God, not that guy. You know, you know when he did that thing, you know when he looked at me or he breathed, I hated that. Anyway, um, so yeah, try to be as authentic as you can, but also sometimes that's not going to be the case, so you have to learn to deal with that. To build the actual stage presence, I would say to say yes to every gig. Don't worry about money. Don't worry about uh, this gig is too small for someone like me. I'm aiming high. You've got to build your stage presence. Maybe you're a natural, okay? And if you're a natural, then you could probably still learn something from what we're talking about right now because I think it's about respect and I think it's about... Um, it's not about look at me. It's absolutely not about look at me, look how great I am, look, I'm the best singer, I've got the best hair, which is, of course, true, but irrelevant. It um, it's about presenting something to someone who wants to be entertained. And you can do this in so many ways. Like, there's, do you know um, the singer Sia, who yeah i think stands I at the back of the stage and she she never faces or at least the last time i saw she didn't face the audience so oh. i've seen her on on talk shows where she'd do a performance uh she has the song chandelier and i'm mm. it's probably years ago now and i just haven't listened to the radio in a while <laughs> but she would stand at the back of the stage and stare into the corner with this wig on and she would never show her face and she said that was part of the fact that she was afraid of being seen and she couldn't sing when she was being watched maybe that's just marketing you know being very very mm. jaded uh, i feel that might be a marketing ploy however if you really can't sing in front of people why not try that you know that's like use your strengths use your weaknesses as a strength um and if that's true for sia then then she made a thing of it and, and that was her thing but if if it's stage fright you just need to know what you want to do oh are we back i think we're back okay um we we lost each other for a moment yes i'm gonna clap did. there we go just to sync so to build the stage presence i would I've, I've rambled a little bit i would say say yes to every gig i would say be prepared but not just with practicing be prepared with silly little things like your cables your strings um have you got enough picks do they need to be on your mic stand and what i used to do with my band if i can go back to a story that uh, i experienced when i was about 17 uh, i'm from mm. a tiny little village in the forest of dean in england called bream and it really is isolated and uh, this is this is the days before the internet, and if you I, if I if I broke a string, it would take me all day to get a bus to go to the local city to buy a string and come back. You know, it, it was and that was and and it was ninety pence, and that would ruin me for the week. You know, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I was in a band that it was my my big teenage band. We were writing songs, we were recording them, we were learning, we were failing, we were succeeding, we were getting dangerously close to being slightly successful. And um, I entered us for a national Battle of the Bands, because Battle of the Bands was big back then. Yeah. And um, there was this national competition held in Leeds in England, and all you had to do was to all uh, was to write some songs, record them, send the demo in, plus have a video of you guys playing, and send that as well via post. So I sent a CD and a VHS cassette <laughs> and an A4 sheet of paper, uh, sent it off, and forgot about it. And then one day I got a letter in the post saying, um, 
paraphrasing, congratulations, uh, we really liked what you submitted. And I, I've read so many of these things, you know, and then we're sorry to say, you know, but then it said, um, we liked what you've done and we're going to put you straight into the final in Leeds on the whatever of whatever. I thought, oh my gosh. Like, Whoa. Talk about having a, <laughs> a potential break handed to you, you know? Yeah. Uh, and there it was. So I had to be as, you have one opportunity, you know, if you had one shot, one opportunity, then this was it. <laughs> Mom's spaghetti. And um, so my band would rehearse every week. We'd gig roughly every week, maybe twice a week in local pubs and stuff. And I, sh I showed them and we all went pretty nuts and then, you know, got scared and um, said we've really got to up our game and use the opportunity. So we took our rehearsal space, which would normally be in a circle, which I would recommend always rehearsing in a circle so you can see each other. But we set it up in a stage formation. And it was quite a small room, so I was sort of inches away from the wall, and that would be the edge of the stage, but I was shouting at a wall. And uh, we set all this gear up, and we had, I wouldn't say a choreographed show, but we ran through, that. we had 15 minutes, including getting on and off stage, or, or maybe 20, but we had a set time. And uh, so we rehearsed from bringing the stuff from the side of the, in inverted commas, stage, setting it up so the back line was provided you know plugging yeah. it in tuning the guitars setting the mic to the right angle and 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 going everybody ready check 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 okay everybody and then playing you know playing the songs are you ready to rock and uh please tell uh, me that you actually like rehearsed that <laughs> uh i i'll say yes but i guarantee i didn't because at that age i was not uh I was definitely not ready, you know, as a, as sure. a onstage persona. Uh, <laughs> it was very, it was almost apologetic. Hi, I am, I'm terribly sorry to take up your time here. <laughs> anyway, so we rehearsed like that. Um, we were smooth, we were slick. We went to Leeds, we got to the stage and we, I don't think we could have been more prepared for that show. What I didn't factor in was the fact that they didn't close the curtains in between bands. So there was, I think, seven or eight bands and um, you'd be going out, and we had we actually took a busload of fans with us, and um, they were screaming, ah, and wearing our T-shirts at the front of the stage, <laughs> and it totally put me off, and I totally bottled it. You know, the, the, the stage persona thing didn't turn on. I didn't have one, and I rushed the plugging the guitars in. I rushed everything. I had two guitars, an Epiphone SG and a Fender Telecaster, very different guitars, you know, single calls versus humbuckers, I had my amp, uh, we had a guitar player who was also a keyboardist. My drummer was always the wild card. You never knew what he was going to do. He once <laughs> forgot uh, a bass drum pedal for a recording session. We traveled miles to a recording session. Lovely. And we ended up putting the, the bass drum in with a MIDI keyboard because he forgot his bass drum pedal. So anything could happen with him. He's, uh, he's married my cousin since then, so he's family now, so I can say that. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Sure, why not? <laughs> yeah, uh, and the bass player was um, a classic bass player, you know, cool, calm, playing bass, and um, John Deacon. And uh, that wasn't actually John Deacon, his name was Chris, but he was very similar to John Deacon. And um, yeah, we started way too soon. I rushed. It's like we had a cool five minutes to get the changeover, and I rushed it for like three minutes. And before you know it, I'm, I'm not even breathing before singing. I'm not even sure if the guitar's in tune. I can't hear my guitar because the sound engineer said, is your monitor okay? And I went, yeah. <laughs> you know, like, yeah, don't upset anybody. 
Whereas the guys were like, you, you had you had time, man. And then we went on stage. We did it. We did a great show. And I'm sure you're wondering and on tenterhooks, what are the results of the battle of the band? And we came, unbelievably, second. Ooh. Which is the worst feeling in the world. <laughs> I can accept last. I can accept kind of in the middle or first. But second is like, here it is. Here's the record deal. No. And the band that won went on to be very successful, and uh, the singer did a lot of work with Mike Skinner from The Streets, which is one of my favorite bands, um, and did very, very well. And I'm still extremely bitter about it. <laughs> extremely. Um, but, you know, everything's a learning process, and yeah. uh, the, band, the band broke up shortly after that because we, you know, we imploded. And, um, yeah. <laughs> wow 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 I don't know if that was worth listening to or, or watching but um, that was my story of not being uh, ready but trying to be ready prepared but, mm. but not being ready when it comes to the, the actual moment yeah but you had prepared for most of the things actually which is kind of cool What did you say you were 17 yeah I would have been 17, 16 or 17 because oh hang on Yes, I think 17 because the upper age limit was 21 and our drummer was 20 and would have been 21 like a week or something after the show. So we just made it. Wow. But I think I was 17, yeah. But I have to say that's, that's actually kind of impressive for someone at the age of 17 to be that prepared because when I think about myself at that age, uh, I was playing a lot, a lot in like school bands and stuff. And for me, it was like just trying to like, I'm a fairly introverted person and like I'm very aware of what other people think of me like I just try to be cool and like stay in the back and play my heavy metal shaped guitar and like trying to be like very metal because I was into metal at that point and like thought like if all the other music is trash metal is the real thing and yeah like I didn't have the I don't know like I, I wouldn't be wouldn't have been that prepared, let's put it that way. Like, I, I actually knew very little about the gear at that point, and like my understanding of preparing for a live show was just like show up and have your guitar roughly in tune <laughs> and take my Zoom 505 with me and put the gain on full. Yes. That's, that was my sound. <laughs> I wanted the 505, but I had a Boss ME30 and a, a Marshall Valve State. Oh, that's too good. That's too good. <laughs> which, uh, which sort of spoiler, I've recently reacquired and will be coming to my YouTube channel uh, oh, to see how it sounds all these day, all these years later. Damn, that's cool. I actually have my, I have, uh, like, I reacquired a five or five, and it's actually in my pedal board over here. I've seen it in, in photos. Yeah, yeah. yeah, it's, it's fun. It's, it's like good bad sounds or bad good sounds, something like that. Like, it's fun. Like, it's, digital fuzzes. In like early two thousands, yeah. aren't like <laughs> the best thing ever. But it's it's fun. That's the most important thing. But the same for me. Yeah. I knew nothing about gear. I knew yeah. how to tune a guitar. I knew how to play some chords. Uh, I did a few lead lines, but I left that to the other guy. Really, mm. um, I think it was more a case of I dealt with what I could control, so I could best deal with things that I could not control. So, and it just made sense to me. I guess. 
I guess you know you have this sort of left brain right brain thing where analytical or creative mm. whether that is true I don't know but what I will say is that I, I sort of walk the line between both um, which I think has helped me over the years but also hindered in the sense that I would have loved to have been the guy that just turned up with his guitar. Maybe it's in tune. You know, it's, sl it's slung really low and I've got the long hair and I don't give a crap about anything. And then, you know, I'd love to have been that guy, but I wasn't. I was like, it's nine o'clock, Matthew. You're late for rehearsal. Where are you? I'm in bed. Well, how quickly can you be here? I need to park my car and, and do all that stuff. Well, can you make it in 20 minutes? No. Oh, come on. You know, I, was, I wasn't so <laughs> military, but I was really disappointed if that, because I wanted it so much. I, I think the bottom mm. line is that's what I want. And um, I was at school, in primary school, I was very naturally good at things. Yep. So I was this kind of natural intelligence, which was nice and does you really well up until the age of about maybe 12. <laughs> and then, then you suddenly have to start working and l actively learning. So I was, I was like a sponge and, and very active and very proactive. Then suddenly I had to put the work in and I thought, oh, I start, and I started failing. You know, I was a top, a top of the class student until the work was required. And then, then I discovered guitar. And as soon as that happened, I lost attention for everything else, which sounds cool and sounds, oh yeah, it's the same. It's so romantic, but it sucks because I sucked and I wanted the things that were apparently so unachievable. And I wanted to be a rock star. I wanted to, you know, Oasis were very popular at the time. And mm. my mum would say, well, Noel Gallagher, he was 28 when this happened. I'm like, yeah, but he didn't just give up and, and, and wait till he was 28. And she was mostly right, you know. Um, my mum doesn't sound like that, by the way. She's more, she's more like that. Um, but she was right. But there was no dissuading me. I was so, so clear, but on an unclear path. Because, mm -hmm. of course, now we have the internet. Now we have these conversations, these podcasts, these videos, these books, these experiences with real-life rock stars, you know, real ones. And you can learn from their experiences and, and, and sort of apply that knowledge to your own personal journey. You can hire people quite cheaply, quite easily, to help you build a music career. You didn't have that back then, and it was, it was actually the Napster age. So... We did actually get kind of pretty far and pretty close to to signing the record deal, and we just got dropped mm. because of, of of not because we sucked, which we weren't that great, you know. But to be totally honest, we had potential, and it yeah. was back then when when record companies and, and music companies would put money and effort into building a band, into saying, "Hey, these these people have got potential. We'll book them, we'll train them, we'll help them develop their songwriting and their musician skills." And then we'll put them to the test. And then if the first album does okay, if it fails, then they've got maybe a, a two more. That doesn't happen anymore, man. Mm. You, I mean, record labels is, is, is a totally different thing, but everything's self-promoted. You've, you've just recently put out an EP, Vlad, and yep. you can't fail at that. You can't do an okay job and wait for someone to say, it's okay, Vlad, it was okay, but we'll, we'll wait for the next one. <laughs> you have to nail it, you know? You have to really succeed on the first attempt. You don't have to have absolute success, but you need some success to build on that for the next one. And, and it's all sure. on you, Vlad. Sure. It's, all, it's all on you, mate. I know. That's, that's what makes it tough. <laughs> Especially if, you do, if you're like me and you actually do everything by yourself. It's, um, it's a lot of pressure, but 
I have to admit, like now looking back at back at the whole process that's been going on since like January, it's also been like a lot of fun. Sometimes I almost like gave up, but yeah. I pushed through and I'm happy now because it's out there and I learned so much and yeah. I think the next project will be easier because of that. Good. Yeah. Yeah, you you just need I think it's all cliche but they're cliched for a reason is that mm. you're not competing with anyone but yourself and the tomorrow you just has to be better than the today you and the yesterday you. And even if that's just a, a mental state like um people watching listening to this hello um hello. you may think that i'm coming across as a very positive and very uh a, a person that has achieved a lot uh i'm very lucky to achieve what i have achieved and i've built that luck you know you, i believe that the harder you work the, the luckier you get but also i have quite severe mental issues and not in a haha funny way i'm mental but i've suffered with depression since i was a teenager uh, I've been at the verge of suicide a few times in my life. I have really um, had a great opportunity put in front of me, and because of my mental state at that point, I've ruined it. Um, on the other hand, you know, on the flip side, uh, I've had bad opportunities that I've turned into positive things because uh, I have a tendency to to go up and down. Very, um, we would have called it manic depressive. It's called bipolar these days, and. I didn't know that I had that as a teenager. I just thought I was a teenager because teenagers are really, really hard. Mm. And I found that music helped me. And I found that because I created this persona to be on stage, I could go and hide in that persona. And then I developed that persona to actually... I didn't change myself. What was weird is I went up into this other person, this other Andy. I mean, I, was, I used to be Andrew, and these days I'm Andy, you know? And uh, unless I'm talking to my parents and my mother, Andrew, oh, no, <laughs> I, I didn't do it. <laughs> oh, I did do it. It's done. Um, but I, I even forget that I was Andrew, you know, but my point I'm trying to make and interrupting myself is that uh, the persona I created, I learned several experiences through. So I learned the strength to get on stage. I learned the uh the skills you needed like the staying calm and the the using that energy to turn it from fear into excitement but then what i also felt was the the rewards i got from that belonged to that person i created so the person that was this is very complicated the person <laughs> inside me there was there was a person inside me vlad and um the, the person who was really me inside this shell of a persona i created he was earning all the the credit and getting all the stuff and I could not uh, be honest and unveil who I really was inside because then I'd be a fraud. And um, so I never really felt that reward. I'm like, great gig. I was amazing. Oh, I love your songs. Thanks very much. And then inside, you know, it didn't hit me. It didn't, I didn't get the, the, the satisfaction. And then what I learned is to, to get rid of this persona and to... Uh, I have an, an amplified version of myself. So... I'm absolutely myself now talking to you and even though I wouldn't go and talk to my, my girlfriend like this or I wouldn't go on the phone and call the bank and like, hey, I'd like a bank loan, please. You know, uh, I would actually if there's any bank people listening to this. Um, <laughs> <laughs> credit rates are low at the moment. Yep. You have to amplify this version of yourself and I, I really believe that a good stage persona comes from within 
and it's like a, like a little seed. You have to water it, you have to feed it, you have to nurture it, and it will grow. Um, mm. It can also wither away if you, if you if you don't use it. And I think it has to come from a point of honesty. And part of my depression, part of the breakdown that I had was because I was living this inauthentic life. I was not being the person who I really, really am. The person who I was when I was two or three years old putting on shows in my kitchen. That's who I am. That's the person who has fun and cares what people think, but not to the point where it stops me from having fun. You know, there's, there's mm. priorities. So all I did really was think, well, who, who am I? Who was I? Who do I want to be? I went through years of um, self-therapy, like reading books and... Uh, spending a lot of time being bitter. Like, why, why is that person succeeding? Why am I not? It's not fair. Well, guess what? It isn't fair, you know? If, if you're going to live like that, then, then you'll learn very quickly that things aren't fair. Uh, and it is all on you or on oneself. However, that's an amazing point of power to be in, to decide one's own fate. And it, it's literally down to... Do I want to go out and drink beer and party with my friends, or do I want to go to a band rehearsal and possibly have a future that you can't even predict? Yep. The, you know, there's so many points you just mentioned that I can like really, really relate to. Because I mentioned as a teenager, I was a kind of too self-aware, but not really self-aware because I, like, I wasn't looking at myself objectively. And actually, that's actually like one of my points of maybe developing your on-camera or on-stage persona is to force yourself to listen to yourself and watch yourself, mm. which is, I'm I, I going to say it's crushing at first. Yes. It's just, it's so devastating to hear yourself sing for the first time or see yourself talking on a camera for the first time. Actually, like part of my day job is I do social media training for people and like, just recently, we co-wrote a video with my wife, who's like a theater person, and like she's directing a play right now. Like knows a lot of that stuff. Like she actually mentioned exactly what you mentioned: be yourself, but like the amplified version of yourself. That's that's really well put because like it's you, and like I'm I'm me here, but like all of my senses have kind of heightened a little bit. I'm like a bit more aware of everything what's happening. I try to articulate a bit better. Because that's what I what happens to me when I I talk too fast and I cannot pronounce words properly <laughs> when I, in front of the camera or like or speaking speaking publicly. So like I know those things now, and like I've worked on them. But awareness of those thing, things came from listening to myself and watching myself. I've done like three hundred something videos, so I know what I'm like in front of the camera, and I've been able to work that. But those first videos, like especially editing my first one, wow, that was, <laughs> yeah, that was quite quite something. Let's put it that way. It's a six minute video. I had about four hours of footage that I cut <laughs> down. It was, yeah. And there are points like where I've felt like, what are you doing? Why are you doing that? Like, it's completely normal. And I don't know. I don't know what works for you. For me personally, in those situations, I work like I walk back from it for a day or two, like do something completely else, try not to think about it. And usually when I come back, I can kind of watch or listen to myself more objectively at that point and like also find the good things in the stuff I'm already already doing and then mm -hmm. find the things that I need to work on. 
For me, um, if it's if it, let's take it's it's um, <laughs> songwriting. Songwriting. I write something and I leave it for a few days or normally yeah. two weeks and go back to it because I have. Then I find that I can finish it. Mm. Not not always. YouTube videos. And to talk about my YouTube channel for a moment, it is a show. Quite you know that that's all it is and. It should be informative. It should answer some questions some of the time. But absolutely, it's about filling someone's time, the viewer's time, with something that makes them feel something. And you could quite easily read off a sheet of specs and so and just <laughs> blindly talk about something. But hi, Agufish. Uh, I, I was not going. I was going anywhere. <laughs> no, no that, that's that's me. That's that's a joke. That's like I know Henning does a joke about him. Like you're just reading the spec sheet and like. Yeah, that's what people like, which again makes sense. Like you're providing them them with the information that yeah. they actually want. There's enough viewers to to go around. You know, yeah. people that watch me will hopefully enjoy my style of what I do. People that enjoy Henning or yourself or Agufish or whomever, um, they find their own hosts. Which is why you get YouTube comments like "You suck" on all those. channels. But yeah. one guy will particularly hate you. Why can't you be more like I don't know? Patrick Hunter or something, and no one could be like Patrick Hunter because he's the best. But exactly, that's you know that's for another day. But with the YouTube videos, I have two approaches, and one is well, many approaches, two main approaches. One is shoot it, know what I want to say, know what I want to do. It's, it's never scripted, but there are certain points that I want to get across, and then edit it straight away and power through. Like ah, click, cut, snip, ah 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 ah, finished, right, upload it. That's number one. That's like, it's done. Okay, don't panic about it. Don't worry about it. It's done because it has to be done and don't overthink it. And then there's the ones where I'm like, if I just cut one frame to I cut to that second camera frame earlier, that kind of joke works a little better or that looks a little bit more beautiful or you don't see me pick my nose at that second. So, you know, it's it's to that level of... of, um, of, of accuracy of cutting and what i'm trying to do is, is i've realized that is non-sustainable mm. to do youtube to the point where you can call it a job and put money uh, in the bank and put food on the table for the kids i can't worry about every little second every little frame that i'd like to and um i think it's the same it's the same as being in a band it's the same as anything you you develop and you you gain skills but you also gain reputation and for me, YouTube is now a, a viable income. It is not everything. It, it's, as a musician, I, I truly believe that people need multi-stream incomes. So mm -hmm. Vlad, you're, you're the same there. You've got a job and you do various different things. Yeah, absolutely. That use your skills. For me, it's, it's going to be going back to gigging. It's going to be, it's, it's YouTube. It's doing also stuff for Tolman. Uh, I'm not going to be doing teaching anymore. That was something that... I believe is too much of a, of a responsibility, um, and my teaching would have to be in German, and it's not good enough. And I don't want to ruin someone's musical potential, you know. Yeah. Uh, but with YouTube, you have to find that fine point between making a great video and wanting it to be so perfect that you never release it. And that's not just YouTube; that's many things. But often, it's the same as going on stage. I'm like, okay, I'm not going to cut this video. I'm going to put out a 40-minute video just to see what happens. Mm. 
and then people love it and it gets viewed and people are oh, this is great Andy, great. Then I put hours into cutting something down to six or seven minutes or ten minutes and people are like, hmm, yeah, okay. Mm. So there's, you know, everything's unpredictable and I love, I love that. Uh, that was the chair, not, not my bottom. Uh, or oh, so you say. In case the mic picked it up. <laughs> yeah, you do the same thing that I just did, which you hopefully don't see because my lovely editor brother Pete will cut it out. Great. You have an editor. Well, for some videos, like he, yeah, I I don't know. We we've talked about it. This is going completely off topic, but like no, yeah. no, it's not. I, I want to know just, that. Like, uh, I think I just asked once. Hey, I can like. I have an extra license for like Adobe Premiere. Want to try out some video editing? And he was like, yeah, sure. Yeah, like I sent him a material for a video that I had already released. And I thought like, copy this or make it better if you want to. Like he comes back to me like two or three days later, like, okay, I spent like 19 hours watching YouTube videos, how to use Premiere. And, like his video was better than mine. <laughs> so awesome. like, okay, you're hired. <laughs> awesome. His name's so Pete. he does Pete, did you some, say? Hmm? Yeah. what's his name? Pete. Pete. Hey, Pete, make me look beautiful, please. <laughs> I'm sure he'll add some fancy effects. But yeah, he's good. Like, he does some of the videos whenever, like, especially when I don't have time or want to have a holiday or something. It's, sure. It's cool. But yeah, uh, I had a point or something that I wanted to add. Like, well, yeah, we're talking about, like, amplified self. That's one, one good point. Uh but yeah, shoot yourself like on a like like film videos of yourself doing the things that you want to get better at. It's incredibly painful at first, but you at some point I think you'll become numb to some things. Like you'll get used to seeing your face. It's never like a, an enjoyable experience in a way, seeing yourself talk. But like you. You'll, you'll stop caring about how you look and how you move and stuff like that at some point and you can focus on the things that actually matter like the stuff you're saying, how you are saying it, how you are you singing, what's your presence on stage and stuff like that. It's, it's really important because if you remove that kind of honest feedback factor from everything, you're never going to really get better at it. Hmm. Like you think you're doing certain things a certain way and like you think they are making you look or sound a certain way, but that might not be the truth. I think that's why I love performing live. Yeah. Because the feedback is instant. Yeah. So if, a, if someone, if, if you're playing in a covers mm -hmm. band and you're trying to entertain some people, and they don't like that song, or they don't like you, or you know instantly because. Or if yeah. you're playing playing a group of hits and people, you know, dancing around, the, the ladies have got their handbags in the middle of the dance floor, and hey, and you know, someone tries a break dance or something, and it all goes wrong, but they're still having fun. Yeah. And then suddenly you break out um, a song that you love, but is a total different mood, or they the other people don't know it, then the dance floor will absolutely empty. Instantly, there's no there's no uh, apology, apologies. They're just empty. They're not having a good time. We're gonna get a drink out of the toilet, whatever. That's great feedback. And as a band, we used to say, okay, we've made a mistake there. Um, we won't do that next time. Yeah. Or the other way is, you have to say, ladies and gentlemen, or whichever way you present yourself on the microphone, uh, you're gonna hate this song, but I challenge you to stay on the dance floor and you know stay dancing. 
there's always a way to, to keep them. And, and that's the thing that I've learned is that you can't really make a mistake, but you can do things wrongly. Mm. So you can you can fix a mistake, but you have to fix it quickly and and with intelligence. <laughs> exactly. I like yeah, especially like what I love about playing live is like you can react to the situation and as as you mentioned, like change it right away. Mm. I've played gigs where like uh, we traveled some distance, we had to set up everything, and then there was like an opening act, and the small bar was pretty full. And once that guy was done, almost everyone left. And we were the main act. It was kind of depressing. But then on the other hand, we just started talking to the few people that were there. And suddenly it became fun. Like, just like, I don't know, let's say four people plus the staff. <laughs> but it was fun because we started chatting with those people. And like, hey, we, we, I think it was like a Christmas set also as well. So, like, yeah. It was kind of interesting because we started chatting and, like, it changed the atmosphere complete, completely. And... Like the dis disappointment of people leaving, kind of we kind of forgot about that because there were a few people who stayed and like actually engaging with them made us happy that those people stayed and we played for them. Sure. And then it was fun again. Like those kind of things. You just need to be able to react to whatever happens. If you make a huge mistake, like joke about it. Like don't try to hide it. Emphasize it. <laughs> Uh, I, I'm like, the king. I'm the king of falling over on stage. So yeah. I'm, I'm a pretty big guy, and there's no hiding that. <laughs> oh yeah, there's no yeah. Hi hiding two meters of hair falling to the floor. Whoops! I haven't done that, but like so many unplugged guitar cables. Oh really? When you're supposed to do an intro. King, uh, yeah. Last uh, December, we were doing a, like a big Christmas production show, and I, I was supposed to start the second song. And like my acoustic guitar, I, I just forgot to check the battery on my acoustic. There was no sound coming out of the guitar. And like, I'm trying to yell to my bandmates, like everybody had in ear monitoring and stuff. Like, so I'm trying to yell, like, I can't hear anything from the guitar. You start the song, just start the song, start the song. <laughs> like, see, like, our intro was like five times longer than it was supposed to be. like but it's okay I joked about it and actually like put it on a video I did like a vlog video from that gig and like I put that at the beginning like this is what can happen <laughs> well the thing is you don't learn from successes as much as you do from, from no, you failures don't. yep absolutely uh, fail forward is a, is a thing that some, someone says fail as many times as you can keep failing falling down I know they're all cliches and it's horrible and cheesy but it's absolutely true yeah um, and just have the audacity to keep going and, and question yourself. What is it that I want? Do I want to go on that stage? Yes. Well, I'm really, really scared. Do you still want to go on stage? Yes. Well, go on the stage then. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's really basic. Yeah. And the people that are successful at it and seem confident, those are the people who just have failed the most. Like they've done the most mis mistakes in the early years and they've, use that as like just feedback and like they've learned from those experiences it's not like somebody just is a natural on stage those are just the people who fail the most and like but who who are also ready to like get the feedback and work on it like not just like obviously some feedback can be like really depressing but just give it time think about it maybe there's some truth to what somebody is saying even if it's not like given to you in a constructive way Sure. Yeah, accept the compliments, but really listen to the the, con mm -hmm. 
critics. Critical comments. <laughs> that's very British of you. Well, that's... Uh, actually, I was thinking whilst I was talking to you about being authentic, this is not my real voice. This is the voice <laughs> of the person that I've created. Um, so <clears> I'm, from the, I'm from the West Country, and uh, my real accent is like a farmer. And we don't pronounce our words properly, and it sounds a bit like this. And what I'm doing now is a parody of myself. And I, I can't do my real voice because I've lived in so many places and moved around so much and needed to be understood. Uh, and also part of my job, I need to be, or at least I feel I need to be clear and coherent. Um, this has now become my voice. So if anyone's listening or watching this uh, that knows me from, knows me of old, as we would say in, in the West Country, <laughs> they'll say he's lying because his accent is all funny and British. But the truth is, you know, it's, it's something that I had to change because people couldn't understand me. And it sounds funny when you sing in my accent as well, because all the, all the words with R come out really strong. Uh, yeah, we used to have a lot of fun singing songs and listening to the recordings back. And I, Who's that? That's really mm. funny. Oasis done in a farmer style. Or <laughs> the Beatles if they were planting seeds all day long. No, there's a video series idea. <laughs> Again, oh, I couldn't do it. I couldn't do it because I'd be doing a parody of my real self. Uh, I, I, I can't do my actual accent unless I'm with my parents in my parents' house. And then you would not understand a word I was saying. It's apparently yeah. still English. Yeah. But I, I just thought it was interesting. Something I wanted, to, I wanted to put in because I realized it's something I have changed. But now I've changed it so much mm. that it's now a part of me. So it is authentic because I've made it uh, part of who I am. Yeah, but th but that's the thing. Like the whole like amplified yourself. Like this is not my first language. This isn't my second language, and that already changes your persona quite a bit. But then, yeah, mm -hmm. I've actually had to change my voice, especially when uh, speaking in English, because I had some like serious vocal cord issues where everything would like tighten up, and I had trouble pronouncing any words at all. Like wow. really, like. When I was at first, I think that I like noticed this the best when I was at the first GitCon, like a few days in where I was super tired and the event was just about to start. And like, I just noticed I had trouble pronouncing any words. So like for a couple of minutes, I just sat quietly, like gathered myself and I started talking again to a few of my friends and they're like, what happened to you? Your English suddenly makes sense again. I was like, yeah, I just tried to relax everything over like around my neck and vocal cords and like over-pronounced my words and suddenly people could understand me again. Wow. But like, yeah, those kind of things can happen. But it's like all of this, my, yeah, I, I need to remind myself to slow down and to yeah, enunciate better. Uh, all of it has kind of become part of the personality. I don't know. If it's not 100% me, but it's not like fake me either. It's something somewhere in between. I don't believe you. <laughs> Where's the real plan? I don't know. Yeah, yeah, it's it's funny. Um, I think if if I were to, I've I've learned a lot by talking to you today. Like I wasn't sure I could advise anybody, but I've learned a lot, and I I think um, if someone's still listening, still wanting to to improve their stage presence, is uh, 
um, just do it. Like, literally, just go and do it. Go and stand on the street corner and sing. Um, if you don't get locked up, then you'll at least learn something about yourself. Uh, and one final thing I'd like to mention is to never be the best musician in the room. Always oh, play yes. with people who are better than you. That's, that's probably the best advice I've ever been given. I've been fortunate enough to play with some amazing like professional-level musicians. And it's so cool because it, something happens with you like when you hear that, okay, that drama is like on a completely different level from everyone else I've played. I need to lock up to that rhythm now because I'm playing the rhythm guitar. Like it's so cool because it fo like it forces you to refocus completely. Like somehow, yeah. This, yeah, it absolutely. That's one of the best things that have ever happened to me as a musician. Just I'm I'm in danger of sounding arrogant now, but mm -hmm. I had I was so focused on becoming a musician and becoming a rock star that I would teach friends who weren't really that interested to play bass or or pass on my limited drum skills to a guy that just happened to be interested and had a garage, you know? Um, <laughs> and therefore, I was the best musician in that group of people because I was the most driven. And I would have succeeded a lot quicker, I would have got a lot further had I been, you know, not... Uh, in front of everybody else because I needed I found I didn't know that back then but I found that I needed to to learn from people and I would go off and then I would play with the the fathers of my friends and that's that's when I learned the most you know guys that have been mm -hmm. playing for years and it doesn't matter what level they've been playing at they learned like one guy I I think the biggest jump I made in my guitar playing was um, to hit the strings or keep the right hand going in between the chord changes you know, I never mm. learned that. I was like, like I was playing wild things, like A, A, D, D, E, E, D, D. I was so just playing those chords. And he's like, no, give it a little <laughs> bit of in between and, and play the wrong. I was like, oh, my God. And it suddenly sounded real, you know? Yeah, exactly. And I never would have learned that had I been the best musician or the most experienced in the room, which mm. I often was. It was, a, it was a curse, Vlad. It was a curse being so good. <laughs> But now, yeah, luckily, luckily, I don't ever get to practice, so I'm very rarely the best musician in the room, which is great fun. <laughs> yeah. Whew. We have a break here, apparently. We're having I'm a little break. Of, I'm out of drink. Actually, maybe, maybe we should wrap up. We can talk about our real-life experiences forever. I sure. Think. Yeah, I'm, I'm ready to wrap up. I've got lunch in about 11 minutes, so... <laughs> Your life is like strictly scheduled. Lunch in eleven minutes. Lunch in eleven minutes. Lunch in ten no. minutes. It, yeah, exactly. I was just looking at the clock <laughs> as well. <laughs> well, I don't know. But like you, you also have kids, so like we actually like have a fairly strict schedule, and like if any time we like don't follow it, uh, our daughter reacts to it in yeah. various ways. So well, I just know that I, I've probably got about fifteen minutes, but in ten minutes, if I'm not ready then then things go bad yeah exactly <laughs> hey thank you so much for taking the time this was fun like we we should do like a second episode of just life exp like experiences of playing <laughs> in bands like or like yeah, our worst should, uh, failures as musicians or something that could be fun actually like maybe you should like, do an episode just collected of people's worst experiences yeah that that might be a thing as well yeah I could we'll give you see. mine now. We can cut it out of this part so people have to watch the next episode. I know, I know. <laughs> always always pushing the marketing. Always. Exa exactly, always. That's that's one of the keys. Like, 
Anything you can like sell, do it immediately. Oh yeah, <laughs> I'm pretty bad at that actually, but um, yeah, learning. Yeah, me too. It's like I don't like being hungry. I think that's the key. I don't like being yeah. hungry and cold. So <laughs> anything that stops me being hungry and cold is, uh, is a positive thing. Yeah, but I I have like the worst um, like what what's what's not premise but like. I'm, I suck at marketing because I, I'm insecure and I'm also Finn. Who Finns like to market stuff like here's the thing I made, like not even like buy it, just here's the thing I made. <laughs> that's it. <laughs> so I give you insecure, and that's the kind of marketing you're used to. Like, <laughs> so yeah, I spent ten years developing this thing, and like I put all of my knowledge into this one course. Like you should buy it now because it will revolutionize everything you do. Like. <laughs> but it's like here's the thing <laughs> but it's the internet so it's you made yeah. this I made this yeah exactly that's how it goes guys I'm going to put links into all the description boxes to Andy's channel I'm going to link that uh, leg geek from Tom as well I was really impressed and it's like really cool set as well like couldn't believe you pulled of so many different styles of songs and apparently with half of the review time you plan to do that's impressive the secret Next is time. that yeah it was yeah. it was really at the end of it we literally collapsed and i can't believe we pulled that off yeah it was good like nothing like major happened so it was it's good good but yeah check out andy's channel and be sure to check out other episodes of master the basic series both on youtube and on apple podcasts not apple music apple podcasts and spotify and also on Podbean. Links to everything, every place. You know how these things work. Thank you for watching and listening. And I shall see you next time. Bye, everybody.